Matthew 14, we come back to a passage that's really all about faith. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the faith of Peter that was extremely passionate, extremely zealous, um, foolhardy, you might say, but it also had its weaknesses. He stepped out on the water with Jesus, which is something that (laughs) was crazy, um, that most people would not do. The other disciples did not do it, but Peter did it. Um, But he did sink a little because his eyes got turned from Jesus. And today, we're going to come back to this passage, not not to that passage, but what happens right after that. You know, when these when these gospel writers are writing their tale, it's not simply an autobiography. It's not really a biography that they're writing, just kind of listing details in order um, based off of just stuff that was happening. There's a little bit of that, but um, these gospel writers aren't just writing a chronological biography of Jesus, but they put elements together to to reveal Jesus. These are revelations of Jesus. Uh, They're telling us who he is, not necessarily just what happened in his life, but who is Jesus. And they put these stories, select these stories that show us who Jesus is. Matthew, Mark and Luke do that more in a storytelling format. John, you see more of Christ's teachings um, than you see in Matthew, Mark and Luke. You see a lot more of the sermons, the, the theology of Jesus In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see more of the theology expressed through the stories more than than it happens in the book of John. But here, we're talking about faith. We're talking about, we talked about last week about how Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples in a very powerful way when he just, right before that, Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water with him, just before that, like just hours before that, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with just a little bit of food that was one person's one person's amount of food that fed thousands and he had revealed his power he had revealed his compassion in an un in an unfathomable way that could not be forgotten and then just moments later peter is acting on it for a little bit he is in a dynamic way expressing faith in jesus and asking jesus to call him out on the water with him But then when he's out there on the water, his faith fails, even though they had seen all of this. And and then after that, all the disciples are just they're just overturned in their minds about what's going on here. And the Bible says in the book of Mark that they were their minds were befuddled as far as what was going on here, because they had not learned the lesson from the feeding of the 5000. They had forgotten it already. They didn't learn it. Their their minds were their, their hearts were hardened towards really absorbing the lessons that they should have been learning from this unmistakable revelation of the power and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at some examples of people who set their faith on the unquestionable um, power of Jesus Christ. Let me read the passage here. It's going to be a short passage today, um, but then we're going to dive in. To this, and hopefully this will be a faith-building experience for us as we look through the scriptures and we see examples of faith. Matthew 14, verse 34 says, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, 
And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Lord, I thank you for the great and many um, promises, the great amount of um, revelation that you have given to us so that we might put our faith in the risen Lord. I pray that we would see the testimony of Jesus Christ and take heart and to have courage to be those who find their confidence in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus alone. I pray that we would not be like those who stray and who fall away because our faith is lacking. But Lord, give us a confident expectation of all that you have promised based off of what you have already revealed in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And if you were to title this message, like I don't usually give my messages titles, but if you were to title it, I would call it The Remembering Faith. Last week we saw the disciples, we saw the insufficiency of their faith in the sense that they hadn't taken to heart what they had already seen. What had already been revealed to them, they didn't take it to heart. They didn't let it impact their belief in Christ, which therefore left them without confidence. And today we're going to be looking at people who, they were simply confident because they had already seen Jesus working. And that's all they needed in order to be confident in Christ. And just to read through this passage again, and he says when they, when they had crossed over, so right after, right when they landed on shore after this miracle that just happened, Jesus walking on the water, the whole thing with Peter, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, okay, the men of that place recognized, this is Jesus, okay? Then they sent throughout all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. We see the reaction of these people. All they did was recognize that it was Jesus. And they had full boldness to bring all the sick from the region to come into the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus had just told, the, told, told Peter while he was walking in the water, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Yeah, he knew that it was Jesus, but... He was actually just looking at the waters, right? And then we, we, here we see a group of people who they recognize Jesus just came ashore. Jesus is in our town. And they recognized him and they got excited. And then they went out and got all the sick people, brought them to Jesus and implored him, begged him that they could just touch just a little bit of his clothing. And they knew that if they could just touch a little bit of his clothing, they would be healed. Why? Because these people were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had the authority over their sicknesses, over their diseases. Why? Because Jesus had already revealed to himself to have authority over their sicknesses and over their diseases. And they believed him. They believed in his power to heal because they had seen it. They had experienced it. So once they recognized this is Jesus, the healer, they didn't question. 
They had already seen the manifestation of the power of Christ, and they believed in him because of it. <clears throat> now there's a, you know, a comment that some people make, especially when we're you know, in a time of trouble or we're in a time of uncertainty. You have to bear with me. I'm getting over a cold, so my throat is a little bit edgy. You know, perhaps, you've heard, perhaps somebody has told you when you're going through a tough time, you just need to have faith. You just need to have faith, which is a true statement. I'm not going to say it's a false statement. But for some, this statement is a vague or maybe even a superstitious ideal that, every, that everything is just going to work out. It's all just going to work out. You know, even unsaved people can tell you, you just have to have some faith. They're not saying you need to have faith in Christ. You don't have to have faith in God. You just need to have some faith. You just need to believe. And for those who aren't really pointing to an object of their faith, this is really just a superstitious idea. You know, the universe is just going to make everything work out. Well, where's your authority on that? How do you know that the universe has authority over your life? Where did you read that? You know, where'd you get that from? Really, it's just founded in superstition for a lot of people. This statement that is a true statement, you just need to have a little faith, but it has no point of reference. And that's what we need to understand here. <clears throat> faith always has to have a point of reference. Otherwise, it's just superstition. And we as Christians, we really need to be better than a common, um, a common um, social viewpoint of faith that is really just more superstition than it is faith. Superstition doesn't really need a point of reference. You just believe whatever you want to believe to make yourself feel better. That's kind of what superstition is, in a way. I mean, that's a very, general, very generalized reference to it. But true faith has to have a point of reference. Even people who have no real religious convictions and don't like to follow Christ will still advise a friend who is going through a difficult time to just have faith. Everything's going to work out, even though there is no real foundation for the statement. They aren't really pointing to really any authoritative source that is going to make this work out. They're just telling you, just believe, just have faith. Our faith we need to understand, is only as secure as the object of our faith. Faith has to have a reference point. Now, that reference point can be insufficient for the faith that you're trying to have. For instance, when you take your car to a car shop to get some work done on it, you have faith that that mechanic, when you drop it off, you put it into the shop, you leave, you go home, you have faith that that mechanic is going to fix the problem so that your car no longer has that problem. But perhaps some of you have had an experience where you take your car to a mechanic who doesn't really fix the problem. <laughs> you get back in the car and that check engine light is still on, even though they said, I fixed it. You kind of lose some faith in that mechanic because that mechanic was insufficient to fix the problem. And there are a number of different ways we could apply this type of a scenario. But in that situation, you, take, you start taking your car to a different mechanic that you can trust will actually do what you want him to do. You will no longer take your car to that mechanic who has given you reason to not trust them to do the job right. At this point in Matthew, Jesus Christ has made quite a stir and his fame has spread <coughs> throughout all 
the nation of Israel. He is becoming the reference point for people's faith progressively in different scenarios, at least for this object of healing. You know, not everybody is really coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but, there, but Jesus is becoming the reference point for faith that he can heal their diseases. They are recognizing him as the authority over their bodies. <clears throat> he has been healing. He has been preaching. People are coming to him from all over to hear him, to be healed by him. They've been enjoying his preaching. They're actually enjoying watching Jesus interact with the Pharisees and shut them down. <laughs> you know, he's been making scenes with the Pharisees. He's been healing. He's been teaching profound messages. People are trusting him. People are putting their faith in him in the sense that this guy has authority. <clears throat> they... <clears throat> They have, so, they have so much faith in the healing power of Jesus that all they want to do is to barely just touch a little edge of the robe that he's wearing. And they are confident that just a little swipe will have the power to, say, to save them from their sickness. Just a little brush with Jesus. They are confident that that brush from Jesus will heal them. And last week we heard about a story when the disciples forgot they were ignorant of the Christ who was capable of, and therefore, <coughs> excuse me, they were ignorant of what Christ was capable of, even though they had seen it clearly what Christ was capable of, and they were overcome by fear because of it, because they had forgotten what Christ was capable of. They nearly died if it were not because of the saving compassion of Jesus. Peter could have drowned in that scenario if it was not for the saving compassion of Jesus Christ. Reaching down, pulling his hand, pulling him back up. Now that was Jesus overcoming him. He didn't, I mean, Peter still had the knowledge that Jesus could save him from drowning, even though he had still lost faith and therefore started sinking. You know, there was still an element of faith there, but that faith had been wounded by his distraction to the waves around him. And today we're looking at some people who, who had an educated faith. We see people who all they did was see Jesus coming. And they were getting excited and boldly were going around bringing people. I mean, if, G, if they did not really believe that Jesus could heal, they could, have been looked like, they could have looked like utter fools. I mean, imagine you just going to a hospital and calling everybody out of the hospital. Come and I'll heal you, okay? But then what if you don't heal those people? You, you're, you were insufficient to actually heal them. You look like a big fool. You just caused this huge debacle, bringing all these sick people out of the hospital for nothing. These people, they had, they had no fear that they were going to look like a fool. Because why? The object of their faith was sufficient. He had proven himself to be sufficient over and over and over and over again. They had so much confidence in Christ's power. <clears throat> and the Bible is filled with people who had a similar faith. We're not going to open the passages to all of these. <clears throat> but in Matthew 8, we see a leper who knew that if only Jesus was willing to stoop this was also in Mark chapter 2. If only Jesus was willing to stoop and to help a man like him, then he could be healed. He knew that he could do it. He didn't say, Lord, if you are able. He said, Lord, if you are willing. 
He already knew Jesus was able. He was just wondering, Jesus, would you be willing? I'm an outcast of society. Would you be willing to stoop and serve somebody like me and heal me? But he had no faith. I mean, he had all the faith in the world in Christ's ability. Because he knew Jesus. We see also in that chapter a story about a centurion who knew that Jesus didn't even have to come to his house in order to heal his servant. He had a servant who was sick to the point of death. And he went out and he said, Jesus, I have a servant who is sick to the point of death. Will you heal him? And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, you, no, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I know that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. His faith did not waver as far as whether or not Jesus was able to do this. He just and he, he had humbly refused Jesus to come under his roof because he, he did not feel worthy to have him. Even though he was a centurion, an authority, a respected member of society in the Roman government. But he knew that he wasn't worthy to be in Christ's presence himself. He just knew that Christ had the power to heal his servant. The reference point for his faith was able. It was secure. It was unquestionable. In Mark chapter 7, we see the story of a Gentile woman from Sidon who knew that she had no right to Jesus. Jesus made that clear to her. She knew that she had no right for Jesus to grant her request. Well, this might be a little less familiar of a passage. Look there real quick. Mark chapter 7. In verse 24. And from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now that's an important thing to read too. Jesus was trying to hide. (laughs) But the people were so excited to see him because they knew his reputation. That he couldn't hide. And he says, but immediately... A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. What he's saying there is, I've come to serve the Jews, not the Gentiles. I'm not here to serve you right now. Now Jesus wasn't being a jerk. (laughs) There's a whole scriptural background behind this kind of a statement, uh, which we can't really get into now, but suffice it to say, Jesus came for the Jews, not the Gentiles. In verse 28, But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What a humble statement. What a humble statement. She's calling herself a dog who doesn't deserve to be in a house who doesn't deserve for, for to be fed by the people feeding the food to the family. But that dog is there just to get the little crumbs that fall off the table. And she's begging for a crumb of Christ's power. Similar to, if, you could just, if we could just brush the robes of Jesus, that would be enough to heal these sicknesses. Right now she's saying, if I could just have a crumb of your power, it would be enough To save my daughter. In verse 29, he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. 
And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. (laughs) I mean, it's a beautiful little passage. And you think, you ever wonder, maybe it's just me, but Jesus is always going, you know, we always see Jesus traveling somewhere. And wherever he goes, there's like one little story, and then he leaves that, t- that town and goes to another town. And then there's a little story over in that town, and then he leaves that town and goes to another town. And it's like he's going to these towns for a purpose. And perhaps he goes to this town in, in, in Sidon so that this could happen. <laughs> Even though he, he confronts her with rejection first, but yet what needed to happen was for this Sidonian woman (laughs) to respond the way she did respond so that the people could see the power and the compassion of Christ. And then he leaves. (laughs) He does this miracle. He arrives. The story immediately happens. And then the story happens. And then he leaves. Goes to another town. He He never seems to really stick around any place for a very long time. But this woman... She had the boldness to immediately approach Jesus upon his arrival, even though she was unworthy, and beg for just a crumb of his power. That would be enough to cast this demon out of her daughter. In Mark chapter 2, we see a man who was lowered through a roof. So that he could be in the presence of Christ and be healed. How many times does this happen in the scriptures? Just once. I mean, that is a huge deal. They had to carry this man onto the roof, take the roof apart, lower the man down so that he could be in the middle of the crowd. That's bold. That's terribly bold. Especially if they were expecting for for Jesus to reject them. Or perhaps that his power might be insufficient. No, they could only have this boldness. They could only have this confident faith in Christ if Christ was sufficient to perform that action. All of these people that we've looked at briefly are examples of people who had heard, they had seen what Jesus had done, and had faith, therefore, that Jesus could help them too. As a real estate agent, I went through some marketing classes and watched videos of different marketing gurus teach their strategies that promised results. I also attended a conference on strategies for getting the most out of income properties. And in all of these different classes and conferences, the training, no matter what the training was, there was always um, similarities in the training. One of those similarities was they were always littered with testimonials. People who had followed this training, who had done this training, and had huge success because of this training. It's just, there's teaching, there's a testimonial. Teaching, testimonial. Teaching, testimonial. It's all, if you've ever read any of Dave Ramsey's books, there's just filled with testimonial after testimonial that this works because I did it, and now I'm out of debt, and I'm debt-free, and now I can, you know, have financial freedom and all this type of stuff. But his books are littered with testimonials. And in a way, the scriptures are littered with testimonials of Christ's authority being sufficient for our faith building to see the Christ that we put our faith in has power, has authority to do whatever it is you ask or think far beyond it. Even what do you ask or think? 
But we have testimonial after testimonial of people who saw Jesus, who put their bold confidence in Jesus, and were not sent away empty-handed. So that our faith could be built. So that our trust could be in Christ. So that the object of our faith could be a proper object of our faith. So that we might not turn our faith away from our risen Lord onto something else. In fact, in chapter, if you look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one, chapters one through ten, right? They established <coughs> a theological foundation for faith in Jesus as God's eternal redeemer. Lots of really deep teaching that really you could spend weeks wading through, going deep, coming up for air, going deep again, coming up for air. It's just this roller coaster of theology in Hebrews chapters 1 through, 1 through 10, establishing Christ, Jesus Christ as God's Redeemer. But this theological dissertation is followed up by chapter 11. And if those of you are, who are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is a record of tons of examples who had faith in God. I mean, it's really kind of like one of those marketing. Um, training sessions where you have all this teaching and then you have testimonials that show, hey, I followed this teaching and I was a success. <laughs> That's what Hebrews 11 is. There's all this teaching in Hebrews chapters 1 through 10 and then you have Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, showing people who followed God, found God to be worthy, followed God to be worth the object of their faith, was worth following and putting their trust in, and God was faithful. That's what Hebrews 11 proves, that we can have confidence in God's plan. It's not just there to, tell, to, to remind us of all these really good stories from the Old Testament. The purpose of Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll read some examples here if you want to turn there, is so that we might have confidence in God's eternal plan. And we must be given reason for confidence because guess what? God has not told us all the details of his eternal plan. He does not give us the right to be involved in all the details of him caring about his eternal plan. We have to trust and obey. But God does not, but God understands the way mankind works. God understands the way that we work and we think, thank you very much. And he knows that we kind of need some primers, right, for our faith. And he proves himself. He proves himself over and over and over again. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And we still have a similar faith because we are hoping that when we die, <laughs> we will have an eternal home in heaven. Right? We haven't seen it. Right? But we hope for it. We have faith that God will give us what he promised. And that's really what this is really t telling us about, because we still have, our faith is not simply rooted in the past, but it's also rooted in the future, in promises that are given to us about eternal life, eternal kingdom. Not like the Sadducees who did not believe in, in the resurrection from the dead. His life is all there is. We have an eternal hope. In expectation, in anticipation. We're supposed to live our lives in anticipation of eternal life. 
That's a, that's supposed to be a huge part of our daily faith that keeps us going. But where is our confidence that this is going to be carried out? Well, Hebrews 11 shows us all the sorts of people who chased after a promise. Verse, uh, verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Okay, So we are sharing in a type of faith that the people of old had, in anticipation of God fulfilling his promise to them. A promise that they didn't really see, but they knew God. They knew that he was going to be faithful. They believed him and they followed him because of it. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering, act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now in this, this is a long string of people who what? They, they shared a common faith, a faith that said, God said, I'm going to do something in the future. And they believed him. They believed God. And therefore, they followed him, fulfilling the plan for the future. You know, there's the, exam the testimony of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they didn't see the, 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 the descendants that were numbered like the sand on the seashore. They didn't see it, but it happened, didn't it? And we can see that promise fulfilled in the Old Testament, seeing that God is faithful. And we can use his example, as well as many other examples of things that, G that God had promised to people that maybe they didn't see, but they believed. And we see them actually fulfilled in the scriptures, so that we can see that the promises of God were reliable. So that we could have faith. Because just like verses 13 through 16, kind of, he's really trying to bring us into their story. They were seeking a homeland. They, were seek, they recognized that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They sought something that was heavenly, not earthly. Because if they were seeking something earthly, they didn't need to follow God. They could establish their own earthly lives themselves. They didn't need God for that. 
And we see plenty of people doing that, establishing their own lives, living for themselves. And me and Wyatt kind of talked about that this morning in Sunday school, how Satan's plan ultimately is to get people to just do whatever is best for yourself. That's what Satan's temptations have always been in the scriptures. Do what's best for yourself regardless of what God is saying. I mean, God really just wants you to be happy, you know. So just do what's better for yourself, for your own life, for your own goals and desires. You know, 666. Six is the number of man because six is the day that man was created. Seven is the day of rest, but six never really gets to the day of rest. Six is just man, man, man. Six, six, six. Man, man, man. Me, me, me. Earth, earth, earth. Everything that's rooted and established in the earth, your life, your desires, your dreams, your goals, or may not necessarily be bad things, but they are things that never get to God. They never achieve God's rest. They never put their faith in the sufficient God who has established something that's far beyond our earthly life. And Satan doesn't want us to get there. All of his temptations are not necessarily meant to get us in gross sin and depravity, but to just keep us from getting to God's promises. (laughs) That's success for him. He doesn't need you to murder somebody or, you know, commit adultery or he doesn't need you to do those things. He just needs to keep you from getting to God's promises, following God's promises, from finding God to be sufficient. So he traps you in your own desires and ambitions that are good, fine, but they keep you from God. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, and that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All these people that we had mentioned, I mean, we could talk about more and more and more, but for time's sake, all of these people did not see the big picture, nor did they understand all of the higher goals that God had. They didn't see all the prophecies that would be fulfilled in Christ. Some of them they probably did, but... But because of their faith, we get to see God's faithfulness in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, even Jesus comes into this example of somebody who is seeking something in the future, something that was heavenly. Jesus himself did that. And we're supposed to walk like Jesus walked, seeking something that's heavenly, a joy that's set before us, not a joy that we can achieve on our own, but something that's set before us, that is achieved through sacrifice, Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life will save it. That's the way of Christ. In verse 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And immediately after this, in chapter 13, he starts listing out a life of faith and kind of with the details of what it looks like. It's really practical. It's from theological, testimonial, then practical. Because God is faithful, you can live for him. Because God is faithful to be everything that he has promised us to, promised us that he is and will do in the person of Jesus Christ. You can believe him. Here are testimonies that show 
God's faithfulness. Now here's how you can live your life. Now here's how you can follow God into that eternal future that he has prepared for you in confidence and eager anticipation of what you will receive as an inheritance, even though you might sacrifice a lot here that you could have enjoyed otherwise. You can live a life of faith. Why? Because you are able. Who is the object of your faith? This whole sermon, this whole appeal is not so that you can try to be sufficient for yourself. Who is sufficient? And who, therefore, deserves to be the object of our faith? And if, our, if the object of our faith is faithful and all-powerful, immortal, unchanging, what is it that you don't think is worth putting your faith in him for. Can he only do some things and not other things? Not talking about what God Christ is willing to do or whatever. It's a different conversation. But what is Christ able to do? How has Jesus proven himself to you? How has God proven himself? Where do we see God proving himself? Where do we see God proving himself? To us, so we might have faith in the scriptures, which tell us of Jesus. So if you want to increase your faith, look to Jesus. Believe in everything that Jesus was, just like these other people were, you know. They saw the reputation of Jesus, they saw him working, they saw him performing miracles, they saw him teaching, they saw... Um, I'm doing all these things, and they didn't miss a step. Jesus, heal me. <laughs> a lot of these people weren't even really saved. They didn't believe in his power to save from sins, but they do what Jesus was capable of on this earth. What is Jesus capable of? Can you believe him? Is the object of your faith worth putting faith in? Or has he failed you just too many times? He's like that car mechanic. Sorry, I'm going to go somewhere else with my service, with my uh, with my business, because you've just failed me too many times. Is the Christ that we see in the scriptures somebody who fails? Is the plan that we see in scripture something that is going to fail? No, it's not. Why? Because God has proven himself to be able, to be sufficient, to bring about all of his promises. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9 through 9 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead, proving that God has the power over life. He can give you life. He's proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt. We don't have to wonder. <clears throat> and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little time, while necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, not now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, this active faith that is existent, even through our trials, our tribulation, the loss of life, both the, the everyday aspects of our life and ultimately in the death of our bodies, we still have faith that even in all of this, we will be risen with Christ because we see God as being faithful and we believe in him that all of this is going to be accomplished through the power of God, a power which is boundless and able and sufficient and faithful to us to fulfill what he said he will do. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say, wait, yeah, let's see here. Second Peter. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now this is the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved, and both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay, so he's trying to stir up their faith, the sincerity of their faith, by reminding them of the things that have been stated in the past. Okay? And that's kind of what we have Hebrews chapter 11 for, to see what has God done in the past, how has he proven himself faithful. Now we can take the things that we read about, our, that now we can read the things in the scriptures, the promises given to us in the past about our future, and trust that it's all going to come out the way God said it would. And then he actually goes in for the rest of this, for the next several verses, talking about Christ will come back again. Christ will restore all things. There are people who are going to say Christ is never coming back. But remember, everything that has already been fulfilled, God is faithful. God has never been unfaithful. You can trust. You can trust that this next prediction will happen. You don't have to wonder, is God going to fulfill his promises? Because he has shown himself to be faithful. Verses 12, and through, verses 12 through 14 say, Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. We can have peace because the plan of God will be fulfilled. Why? Because the object of our faith is able and sufficient to do it all. And then verse 18 he kind of gives a general daily boost. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How are we supposed to build our faith? How are we supposed to find Christ to be sufficient? Because we grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. If you want to know that God is faithful, look for it. When you look at these pages, when you read the pages of these scriptures, you will see the faithfulness of God. If we are ignorant of his word, then we will have reason to doubt. Because we haven't seen him as being faithful. But God has proven himself. The object of our faith is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy 
of our devotion. He is worthy of our trust. And we can see it here. We can see his worthiness. If our faith fails, it's because we haven't, just like the disciples on the water, because our hearts were hardened to what has already been revealed. What God has revealed is sufficient. God is not insufficient in anything that he has revealed to us. He has shown us everything we need for life and godliness, according to knowledge of him, who Jesus. We look to Jesus, we see his ability, and we can have faith in him. We can, it's there, it's provided for us. But we need to go and we need to believe it. We need to believe it. Not just read about it and appreciate it, but believe it. And believe that it's still true today. And that none of God's good promises have failed, nor will they ever fail. So the application today is simple. Believe God. Believe him. He has said everything that we need him to say. We need to believe him when he says it. Lord, I thank you for the great promises and the great examples that you have given us to help us in our weakest state, that we might have faith in things that are unfathomable. I just pray, Lord, that you would grant us the grace to really believe that our hearts would not be hardened against that which has been revealed to us, but that we might trust in what you have revealed to us and believe it and have faith, therefore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.